Thank you, Connie, for that. Last Sunday, we started a series entitled, He Shall Be Great. And if you have your Bible with you, we're headed back to Luke 1 this morning, where we started out last week. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with the message. We noted four special conditions that the angel Gabriel delivered to Mary regarding her future son's greatness. And the first one that we saw last week was that he would be the son of the highest, co-equal with the Most High God in every way. For our reading, let's read once again at verse number 26 this morning, and I'll read it aloud if you follow along silently. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This morning we're going to look at the second condition in this passage. Uh, Once again here from verse number 32. And uh, the Lord would give unto Messiah the throne of his father David. So this morning we're going to talk about his position. And let's pray. Father, would you bless our time together as we hear the word of God. I pray that you'd unite our hearts as one and that the Holy Spirit of God would have uh, the freedom and liberty to work in our lives the way that you see fit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please listen to this song? Before my head agrees, my heart is on. 
Thank you, Brenda, for that beautiful Christmas song today. And I don't know if you remember back or if you ever had to take a Western civilization class. How many of you uh, ever had to take Western Civ? All right, how many don't remember whether you had to take it? A... <laughs> um, how many of you are, uh, you remember what social studies are even? 
Okay, good. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, but, but back in Western Civ, uh, you had to learn the list of the Roman Caesars. And uh, the first one, of course, was, you guys all know, right? Julius Caesar, right? Julius Caesar. Yeah, the first one was Caesar, of course. Very good. You guys are on top of this. The first Caesar was Caesar. Um, Julius Caesar, who Shakespeare wrote about. Uh, The second one was Augustus. And uh, the greatest history book in the entire world, the Bible, identifies Augustus as the emperor when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And that's in Luke 2. But Augustus was followed by Tiberius. And then there was the certifiable one, Caligula. Um, he was a mess. And his son, Claudius, managed somehow to be sane. But his grandson, Nero, was the one who fiddled while Rome burned to the ground. Nero was also the one who executed the Apostle Paul. Uh, then there was Galba, and then Otho, and then Vitalius. And you guys remember all these, right? There's a quiz later. Um, and then Vespasian, and Titus, and Domitian. And I'm sure that you are already logically on board with me here. You've got this whole thing. The thing that made each of them Caesar was that they were descendants of the original Caesar. And when it comes to any type of monarchy or genealogy, um, these statistics or these records are very important. And by way of introduction today, I, I just hope to submit to you a thought Uh, about Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is and always was Son of the Highest, who is and always was the Word of God, which we saw last week, did not need any earthly credential to prove His existence. The heavens themselves declare His glory. And God knows everything. God didn't need to keep track of anyone's descendants for His files. All right, God doesn't have to go on Ancestry.com to figure out what happened. He knows everything. And He knows things that have been fudged on Ancestry.com to make your great-grandpa look like a good guy. Right? Um, so, so God knows all these things, and He didn't need to keep track of it. And yet, the Scriptures are filled with genealogies. Isn't that weird? Have you ever gotten in your Bible reading to First Chronicles? You're like, whoa, it's just lists of names here. Or you get to Ezra, the beginning of Ezra in your Bible reading, and it's just this big, long list of names. And I believe that the genealogies are in the Scriptures because God knew how important they would be to us who live in feeble humanity. All right, think about it for a second. A great percentage of this world can barely see beyond today, the here and now. What are we thinking about? What can I enjoy today? What should I have for breakfast today? What can I buy today? What can I win today? Where can I go today? And long-term planning is, how many days is it until Christmas? Right? That's long-term planning. By the way, how many is it? 16. I knew somebody would know. You guys are on top of this. So, so we are not really a people, uh, earthly beings, who are very interested 
in long-term history or in long-term planning. We're a short-term bunch. Our kids, I was thinking about this the other day, um, our, they have been privileged, really, to meet all of their great-grandparents but one. And in fact, um, I'm 40 years old, and both of my grandmothers are in attendance here this morning. Isn't that amazing? Um, that's just a blessing to, to be able to have that kind of heritage. Also, my, uh, my mom's sister, Nancy's here this morning, too. But we have, in, in our lifetimes, we kind of look back and we're like, whoa, a hundred years ago. That's a long time ago, right? Now, for some of you, it's not that long ago because you're almost there. Um, but, but when we go back 200 years ago, life is so different that we barely recognize it. You go back 200 years ago, and it was the War of 1812. How many remember that? Right? We don't even know what that was or who was president back then. Anybody know who was president during the War of 1812? Anybody know? In this whole crowd, nobody knows. It's that important. James Madison, right? Because Dolly took the paintings out of the White House so they wouldn't get burned by the British. History lesson in church. Come on, people. You guys need to go back to the social studies here. That was only 200 years ago. And for us, it's far-fetched. It's like, whoa, oh, you just blew my mind. I can't even go back five years. Ten years is rough. And we have trouble remembering and thinking back that long. But God, in His His infinite wisdom, He picked a family whose genealogy would be recorded in detail by national historians of a country. He wanted Messiah to be on the record for all generations to understand and behold. And God didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. God put it on the record for us. And so we're going to talk about Messiah's position today. The position was that he would be given the throne of his father David, as we read in Luke 1. And there's four parts to the message. Hopefully you can follow with me. We're going to start with according to the flesh. According to the flesh. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the Old Testament, there are over 300 detailed prophecies regarding the identity of Masiach, which is the Hebrew word for Messiah. So there's 300 prophecies that give details about who Messiah would be. Just unbelievable. And a prophecy, it gets as detailed as you want to get. Now, most of us, just generalizing, we're like, well, there maybe were some prophecies in the Old Testament. And if I asked you this morning, it's probably, you know, 20, 30 people who would even know what one of the verse references is for an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. But most of us, I just said most of us, even me, man, it'd be rough for us to think of five. Like, ah, oh, there's that one. Yeah, he'd be born of a virgin. Okay, well, where's it out in the Bible? And I don't know. It's in there somewhere. It's in the second book of Hezekiah. You know, I, I don't know where it's at. Um, so, so we would struggle with that. Because maybe we're not that deep in the prophecy. But prophecy gets as deep as you want to get. 
you start getting into Ezekiel 37 and 38, and there are people who have studied it for 25 years, and they have no idea what it means. I still have no idea. And it makes me think of the science of astronomy. Um, a couple thousand years ago, astronomers believed that they could count the number of stars in the heavens. Right? Now, they updated that about 400 years ago when a guy named Kepler, um, he came out with this near, new theorem, and he believed that there could be up to one million stars. There might even be one million stars. Can you imagine that? And now modern scientists tell us there are, there are hundreds of billions of galaxies. And that they each have hundreds of billions of stars. And the further our telescopes go out in the universe, the more infinite God becomes. And the further out and the deeper we see into black holes and novas and galaxies, the bigger God becomes. And the bigger we make microscopes, the smaller the particles are that we deal with of our own humanity. When I was a kid, even in biology class back in the late 80s, they told us that in our human body we had six trillion cells. I looked at my kids' science book the other day. It said we have 75 trillion cells. Somebody made a gigantic error. It's like the government IRS statistician got a hold of the science theorem. Right? Because our national debt's not that big. Do you even know what it is? Nah, who cares? It's just like 16 trillion, something like that. We we have massive amounts of cells, and each of them has a proton and a neutron and an electron. And that means tons to everybody out here in the crowd today. Like, wow, everybody's stunned by this. And every one of your cells um, is the imprint of God that holds us together that completes us as human beings. And the deeper we go and the further we go, the bigger God becomes. And it's the same thing with prophecy. The more we understand about prophecy and the more we look at prophecy and the more we find out about how prophecy has been fulfilled, the bigger God becomes. And yet none of us, none of us are ever going to grasp it all. It's incredibly tough for us. And so... As we walk through the scripture today, I I want you to understand, I do not consider myself a prophetic authority. I am still learning every day about what it even means. I'm blown away by the word of God every day. Just blown away by it. And uh, here we begin to look about Messiah being born according to the flesh. And in these prophecies, it becomes very quickly obvious to anyone who would read them that Messiah must come from a certain family. And in the Old Testament, it tells us that that's the family of David. Now, this is the David of David and Goliath fame. Everybody's heard of him. And God had chosen the lineage that he would use for this earthly entrance of his son thousands of years before he even arrived in Bethlehem. Go with me to Matthew 1. And I just want to show you 
by one example how intricately God had developed this. Yeah, this, uh, this, just this one genealogy gives us so much to think about and so much to study. This was the genealogy listing for the earthly father of Jesus, a guy named Joseph. As you get over to Matthew chapter 1, look how the New Testament, yeah, the Gospel of John, or Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew begins. Look at this, Matthew 1 verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so it starts back at Abraham, because he was a pretty famous figure in the Bible. And it goes all the way back to Genesis 12, Genesis 11 with Abraham. And it goes through this. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. So Judah is a key guy here. Look at verse 3. And Judah begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. Now, if you're into doing Bible studies, circle that name Tamar. Tamar was a woman who had been promised that she would have a husband by her father-in-law. Her husband died. And then her second husband, he didn't do what he was supposed to do, and God killed him. And so uh, her, father said, her father-in-law said, okay, we got the little kid, he's the third one, and he's like six years old. You wait around for a while, and we'll, he'll be your husband someday. And so she waited, and she waited, and she waited, Never heard anything more. Didn't get a text message, no Facebook, no tweet, no nothing. And so one day she put on the garments of a prostitute and stood by the road and enticed her own father-in-law to have relations with him, with her. And out of that relationship were born these twins who are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So you could do a study on her. Pharaoh begat Ezra, and Ezra begat Aram, and Aram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Tuna, and Tuna begat Trout. Oh, I'm sorry, I have a different book. Um, verse 5, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. Now, Rechab, if you remember this from, from the book of Joshua, Rechab was Rahab the harlot. She was from a town called Jericho, where the walls fell down flat. Another interesting Bible study. And in the same verse, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. There's a book in the Bible named Ruth. And she was a Moabitess. She wasn't even a Jew. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon, look at this, of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Doesn't even say her name. Her name was Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba committed adultery and had a son. Now that son died, but after they were married, Solomon was born. And it continues this lineage of Jesus Christ. There's an earthly listing for where Jesus would come from on his earthly father's side. And this, this history goes back to Abraham. Now, Think of this, 1,900 years back is how far that genealogy goes. There's another genealogy in Luke 3 for Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
the earthly mother of Jesus. That genealogy goes back 4,000 years, right? 4,000 years. Now, I would ask out loud this morning if anybody could top that, but there's always a yahoo in every crowd, and somebody would raise their hand and say, my great-grandpappy to the 79th thing was a sheep herder in somewhere, right? I know you people. So I will not ask the question out loud. Not going to do it. It's not going to happen. But the genealogy of Jesus is listed in the Scripture on his earthly father's side 1,900 years back. On his earthly mother's side 4,000 years back. And we're going to see more about the significance of taking it all the way back to Adam in just a little while. But the prophecies said Messiah must come through David. The genealogies confirm that, that he did. He came through David. Now, Jesus asked the Pharisees about this topic because he knew how important it was to them. The Pharisees were the, the religious leaders in Israel at the time of Jesus Christ. So look at Matthew 22. And uh, hope, hopefully you can follow to all these passages. We're going to a lot of places here this morning. Matthew 22. When you get there, get your finger down to verse 41. Look at this. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? In the New Testament, that word means Messiah. Christ, Messiah. Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. He said unto them, How then did David's spirit call him Lord? And it goes through a prophetic passage all the way back from the Psalms. So the Pharisees knew that Messiah had to be a descendant of David. Pharisees knew it. In Matthew 9, two blind men were following Jesus. And you know what they called out to him? They said, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Now how could two blind, illiterate men know that he was the son of David? Because he was the Messiah. Two outcasts knew who he was, and they called him Son of David, Messiah. A few chapters later, Matthew 12, Jesus heals a man who was blind and dumb. He couldn't talk. And the people who watched the event said, they they watched him heal this man, and then they said, all these bystanders, all these people, they didn't have doctorates of the law, they they weren't considered these big-name people. They were standing around, and here's the question they said in Matthew 12. Is not this the son of David? You know what that means? What they said was, isn't this the Messiah? There's nobody who could do what he just did unless it was the Messiah. The nation of Israel had been waiting for the son of David for over a thousand years. David had been dead for almost that long. They were still waiting for his son, the prophesied Messiah. Continuing on in in Matthew 15, a Gentile woman, I mean, she wasn't a Jew. She cries out um, to Jesus to to heal her daughter. And she said, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Even she knew. In fact, the very week of his crucifixion, as he rode into the city on a donkey, the people lined the streets and said this in Matthew 21, 
Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now the Apostle Paul would later write to the Romans that Jesus Christ our Lord was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Why? Because human beings need to see the record to believe. As human beings, we have to see the record to believe. Um, even, even you get emails every day like, that can't be true. That can't be true. And so what do you do? You snopes it. Right? How many of you have ever snoped something? Where have you people been? This is the 21st century. Snopes is whether you see if it's a hoax or if it's actually true. How many of you have never snoped something in your life? Not smoked something, snopsed something. S-N-O-P-E-S-E-D. All right, so, so there has to be a record. If the record says it's true, then by all means it's true. And the Bible, folks, has the record. It's here. He is Messiah according to the flesh. There is no doubt, no dispute at all about who Jesus is. He is Messiah according to the flesh. But then we see this second part of the message, and I hope you'll stay with me. We're going a lot of places. Awakened as the first fruits. Awakened as the first fruits. I told you that we'd go back and talk about Adam. And so to talk about Adam, we had to have to head back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis. In fact, let's go to the very first chapter of the Bible. And I'm sure you're familiar with how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That word in the Hebrew, God, is the word Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. And here's what it means. It means the triune God. Now, that noun, God, is plural and singular at the same time. I don't know if you remember much from grammar, but what that means is more than one and one at the same time. Like, whoa, what, what just happened? Some of you are still looking at me like, the Roman Caesar? What, Diocletian? What? I thought I was in church. And we're, there's confusion in our midst here. Look at Genesis 1, verse 26. I want you to note a special word in this verse. Look what it says. And God said, let us. Do you see that? And God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. This is a singular God with a plural meaning. And everybody understands, I'm sure, that that's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in one. The three in one. Look at the very next verse, 27. So God created man in his own image. So it goes from plural back to singular. So Elohim is this singular plural God who created everything. And when he did, look what he gave to man. Back to verse 26. I read the first part. Let us make man in our image after our own likeness. And look what it says. And let them have dominion. 
Let them have dominion over all these different things, over the whole earth, it says at the end. God gave dominion to Adam and Eve over the earth and all of its contents. And if you've ever read Genesis, you know that the dominion that the triune God had given to Adam was stolen by a snake. Stolen by a serpent in Genesis 3. Satan came and stole the dominion of the earth. And to get it back, to overcome the curse of death that was placed on humanity, the very Son of God would have to set aside his position as God and take up the position of servant, made in the likeness of men, made in the form of men. And he would enter the earth as son of David. Once again, to have a recorded human genealogy so that we would have the information we need to place our faith in Jesus Christ. So the dominion was taken. Now, uh, I know we're moving all over. Keep your brain focused. We're going to fast forward now to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, hang with me. We're going to get there. Promise. 1 Corinthians 15. This chapter discusses in detail the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it's after his birth, after his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And it talks about its significance. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. That means it's empty. That means it's just as good as believing in a stick or believing in a frog or believing in a stone that's been carved with a face. That's how important your faith would be if there's no resurrection. Your faith is vain without it. You're yet in your sins. Skip down to verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So Christ has become the first fruits of them that slept. What does that mean? Look at verse 23. But every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ that is coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. So, so follow me through now with this. The moment that Jesus arose from the grave, he secured not only our eternal life, but the promised kingdom of David. Jesus, when he rose from the tomb, he got the dominion back. The dominion that the serpent stole in the garden, Jesus got it back. And in doing so, he wasn't just the son of David. Now, he was the Savior of David. See, the Bible says, If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Abraham's great faith would have been in vain. David's faith would have been in vain. And our faith today would have been in vain. But the Bible says, Now is Christ risen from the dead. and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Because he arose, we will arise. Because he lives, we live also. For those born in Christ, death is defeated. And you may experience physical death, which the Bible calls sleep. But if you're a child of God, you'll never die. You have eternal life. The Bible is very clear on this. He that hath the Son hath life. Let's talk about this third part for a second. 
ascended to the Father. Ascended to the Father. We just read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. That happened in his ascension. So Jesus was born, he died on a cross, he rose from the tomb, and he ascended back into heaven. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 1. I want to walk back through this for just a few minutes. And stay with me for about, if you stay with me for about eight more minutes, we're going to get there. Okay, we're going to get to the thought of the day. And I know some of you are like, man, I'm... Totally. Kepler saw how many stars, and you're way back. Catch up with us, fast forward, come up to speed. Go back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Okay, there's meaning that, that's hopefully going to grab us here as we go through this. 2 Samuel chapter 7, David had just become the king. And after he had become the king, God gave him a promise. A prophet came to David and began to speak to him these words in verse 8. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat. He was a shepherd. for following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people of Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, that means he'll die. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And it goes through, verse 16, Thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Thy throne shall be established forever. This is a prophecy. And after David had received this special covenant from God, David wrote in the Psalms and he prophesied through the Holy Spirit that his son would be his Lord. That his own son, his descendant, would become his God. That his own son would be exalted by God and given his rightful place at the Father's right hand. And I want to take you for just a second to a sermon in Acts. The book of Acts. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And this sermon is one from the Apostle Paul in a Jewish synagogue in a town called Antioch. Acts 13. We're going to see how all this was fulfilled. And I'd encourage you, if you're writing down the scriptures that we're going to, go back through and read them again later throughout the week. Hopefully we'll get more of this as we go back through Acts 13. Verse 22. And when he had removed him, it's talking about the first king, Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill, fulfill all my will. 
Now look at verse 23. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. This is Paul looking back and saying, hey, the prophecy's fulfilled. The covenant's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now skip down to verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he had raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And it's concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Now, it goes on to say, verse 26, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So Jesus was raised from the dead. He was ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so the ascension is so vital. But then I, I want to close it out by talking about anointed king forever. Anointed king forever. And once again, I could take you to scores of passages that talk about the earthly kingdom of Messiah. There are way too many, there are way too numerous to study in one sermon. Those passages are still prophetic today. And the kingdom is certainly coming. I don't understand it all. That's why I need genealogies. By the way, you do too. Um, I, I don't understand it all. None of us do. But I know this. God's word says that those of us who are children of God will rule and reign with Christ during his millennial kingdom. Let's finish up here in the book of Acts, back in chapter 2. In one of the most famous sermons that has ever been preached, Peter preached this just 50 days after the resurrection on the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice in verse number 25. Acts 2 verse 25. For David, so this is Peter talking back hundreds and hundreds of years about David. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And, and here Peter's speaking to Jews, to his own countrymen. And he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. They could go and visit David's tomb. He was dead. He was gone. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, Messiah, sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all our witnesses. He says to the crowd 50 days ago, this Jesus rose from the tomb. Fifty days ago, this Jesus confirmed who he was. 
Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens. David was dead. But he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now I want you to notice what he tells the Jews next. And maybe you didn't grab the whole thing that we just read, but grab verse 36. He said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he explains to them, look, the seed of David, Jesus Christ, who was just here 50 days ago on this earth, he was the Messiah. And you crucified him. You killed him. Your sins put him on the cross. And they did not like this. Look at the very next verse. That when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? So there's a question that always has to happen when we read the Word of God. It's not just for information. It's not just for history. It's not to understand prophecy. The question that has to come for all of us is this. What shall we do? What should we do as a result of what we just heard? What should we do as a result of what we just read? And the answer is still true today. Repent, that's salvation, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because of the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this is huge, groundbreaking truth that we're hitting here. And yet... It stymies us because it's hard for us to understand prophecy. It's hard for us to follow all these things. I tell you this, friends. Jesus Christ will be what he's always been. King of kings and Lord of lords. From everlasting to everlasting, he alone is worthy. You say, okay, pastor, just a second. How does this apply to my life? Put it down for me today. How does it apply to my life today? Well, it's simple. The question is this. Who is on the throne of your life today? Who's on the throne of your life today? Is it you? Is it stuff? Is it your job? Is it your retirement planning? Is it your house or your yard or your car or your kids? Or is it Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you how you can find out. Consider what it is that you spend your time and your effort and your money on, and you'll know who's sitting on the throne of your life. And if you're concerned with just the things that are 2012, 2013-ish, you may have missed something important. The kingdom of God is eternal. It's a little bigger than me or you. It's bigger than my dad or your mom, than who my great-grandpa is. It's bigger than all the American presidents combined, by far. It's bigger than the list of Caesars we mentioned earlier. It's bigger than David or Abraham. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And God knew that our attention span is severely limited by time and space around us. That's why we have genealogies. 
Jesus knew that we are impaired with big-time spiritual ADD. And we sit in church even like, whoa, what just, man, what time do we get done? Where are we going to eat? Man, I feel like I need to go to the restroom. We've got all these thoughts going through our head. And I'm reading in your eyes that I've discerned what's taking place here today. We have spiritual ADD. We're all over the place. God is eternal in the heavens. And we miss it. That's why Jesus told us in Matthew 24. Watch, therefore, be also ready. Hey, the kingdom of David is coming. Messiah promised he will return. What will he find you doing? Who will he find on the throne of your life? It's that easy. It really comes down to, is Jesus on the throne of your life today? Is Jesus in charge of your life today? Have you given him the reins? Is that Jesus, I can't do it. I don't have any righteousness. I don't have any way to serve on my own. I need you. Let's bow in prayer. As we bow, I want to ask you this today. I know we haven't preached a practical message today. There's been a lot of scripture, a lot of prophecy, a lot of doctrine. And yet Jesus, his question to you is, what will you do with him? Is he in charge of your life? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? And if I could ask this with no one looking around for just a second, would there be one here today who'd say, Pastor, I do not know for certain if I died today that heaven would be my home. I'm not sure if I'm a child of God. And Pastor, would you just please pray for me? With no one looking around, would you just slip your hand up? I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. Christian, today may be the time for you to reinstate Jesus in the throne room of your life and to put him back in charge of who you are as a person, of your family, of your genealogy, everything God wants you to be. Father, would you work now during this time of invitation? Speak to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to respond as you would have us to respond today. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand? As you stand, Brother Cole's going to sing. You do what?